I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and get instant access to our entire back catalogue of extended shows. And thank you to Gavin Driver, Liam Daly and Paul Middleton, three of our most recent patrons joining us, helping us finish this month with one more than we did last month. You guys are brilliant. Thank you. Ian is away this week. And we've got a bit of a treat. We're joined by a new co-host, long-time, long-time media and TV producer, host of the show Me The Way podcast, and a very dear friend of mine. It's Naomi Kerbel. Hello, hello. Did you like that intro? Was that? Yeah, did I, I hit really the, like that. I, I mean, the, a few stumbles, but <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. It was along the lines. You see, in my podcast, I go back and re-edit and re-edit and re-edit. So I'm seeing now how the pro really does it. Yeah, I mean, the stumble is trying not to say um all the time, and I think if you can crack that, you've basically got half of broadcasting down. Um, but we're not going to change the format of the show. It's exactly the same, um, just with uh, an, a fresh voice for your ears. Um, but we're going to start by jumping into this week's news. And we're starting, in fact, with news that the BBC and ITV, who, as you will know, already have a streaming service for people who want to binge on things like Broadchurch, which I recently heard of, Jonathan Creek, which I'm intimately familiar with, Coronation Street and Doctor Who and things like that. Um, But up until now, it's exclusively been available in the US and Canada. That, however, is about to change. ITV recently confirmed that talks are concluding about launching this in Britain. BBC Director General Tony Hall, in fact, said it'll include old favourites, new releases, as well as brand new commissions. It's expected to launch in the second half of this year, and they say it will be priced competitively. Now, before we move on, just a quick question, Naomi. Do you subscribe to Netflix? I uh, subscribe to them all, so I'm Netflix, Sky, Amazon. Right. So not Apple, not Hulu. You've got the you've got the full bag. And this is this is one of the things that interests me is that we've got so many of these streaming services now that when I hear rumours of a new one, even though it sounds really compelling, I'm a big fan of British TV. I, I kind of feel I'm getting to the point of having a one in one out policy. I, I'm with you. I. I read this story and I was surprised. I mean, I am thrilled with the fact that they're already doing quite well um, globally, um, particularly in North America. And maybe we'll come on to that in a minute. But I do feel at the moment like I am trying to sift through all of my different ones. I'm not actually getting to all of them all the time. So I will watch a bit of Sky to maybe get Catastrophe, Netflix to get a bit of Ozark, Broadchurch, I have to say, I totally binged on Olivia Coleman. I'm a big, big fan. So that Oscar was Oscar winning Olivia Coleman. Oscar winning Olivia Coleman and David Tennant. It's that was an amazing series. But I just don't know that we need any more in this market. Well, I mean, there's some evidence at least that BritBox, what it's offering, is actually onto something. It's got apparently now more than half a million people in North America subscribed to it. Mm. Five hundred thousand people. And given the competition in the US alone for on-demand content, I think that's pretty promising. They've got certainly no fewer services 
services than we have in terms of competing for our streaming uh, dollars and pounds. But the difference, I think, is that trying to find Mrs. Marple, which I'd never heard of, but apparently is enormous here, um, on Hulu or something, you know... You'd never heard of Mrs. Marple? No, no. Is it a... Is it? Is she it's, a nurse? She's... No, she's a detective and she's like as big as Jessica Fletcher. Who's Jessica Fletcher? Murder, She Wrote. Oh, now you know what? My my detective series began and end with Hetty Wainthrop Investigates. Okay, fine. All right. Know, starring Patricia Rootsledge, <laughs> okay. the uh, classic keeping up appearances lady. No, I never heard of it, but I assumed it's intrinsically British and therefore, you know, in the US will be quite popular for that reason, as, as a lot of those sorts of shows are. Um, but in Britain, we know that if we want Doctor Who, we go to iPlayer. If we want Coronation Street, we go to ITV Hub. If we want first dates or something we go to 4od that's very clear and most of those are ad supported or we're paying for them with our license fee so it doesn't feel like we're, we're necessarily having to choose one or the other we just go where we want but bringing britbox here i wonder whether that slightly confuses the marketplace and whether there's a place for it and my personal view is that there is a place and i would love to subscribe to it and binge on 1980s uh, sitcoms but um but i think it really has to the way they have to present it is going to have to be unique enough that it that it a doesn't ca- feel like it's cannibalizing those catch-up services but also simultaneously doesn't look like a netflix rival because i don't think this is a netflix rival i think this is complementary or should be complimentary um, to Netflix. Except that they do say that they're going to be doing their own shows, which I think is fantastic for independent production companies that are trying to find outlets. I wonder whether it's going to create a space for aggregators, like a kind of... um, Well, like Sky actually is, because 4OD and the ITV Hub, it all comes under the Sky banner. So when you go to search within your Sky box for all of these things... I didn't realise, for example, First Dates, which I do binge on, um, was under 4OD I just enter first dates into my sky search and I get it all there so I Uh. wonder whether there will be other companies out there who will become aggregators of all of these things and there will be apps created for that that's a very interesting thought and you're probably right and also about the commissions I mean one of the reasons that I think Netflix has been able to spend such huge amounts of money on original content is because it has a global subscriber base you know I always sort of wonder imagine if the BBC made content in the same way as it does for Britain for the entire world what would that do to change its its mandate or the size of the budgets it has maybe if Britbox is able to take a lot of the money that it's getting from Europe from UK from US and Canada what could it do with that? And, and you're right, maybe we could see... I mean, we're not going to see the likes of um, Amazon spending quarter of a billion dollars or something per episode on this new Lord of the Rings, but it might be able to stretch to some better CGI and, I don't know, Doctor Who. Possibly. And I wonder whether companies like Alibaba or Amazon that already aggregate products will become the aggregators of this kind of content. Yeah, well, the the question would remain, of course, you know, what would we pay for and what would we pay extra for? For me, I'm always going to be happy paying for quality. I've recently found myself buying a lot more films from the iTunes store because they're in 4K and I bought a 4K TV. I have an Apple TV 4K. Um, and so I could definitely see a big 4K offering. And, and we do produce a lot of content now in 4K, but we struggle to get access to it. Um, and permanent downloads being somehow baked into this, I could also 
also see as being quite attractive um, as an alternative to, to Netflix and the like. But let us know your thoughts. Hello at techpodcast.uk. This will launch towards the end of the year. It'd be very interesting to hear your views of what you would pay for without having to give up an existing subscription. Well, this month marks the anniversary of the publishing of revelations about Cambridge Analytica and more broadly what some people saw as the end of the line for Facebook's trustworthiness as a global communications platform. A few days ago, Mark Zuckerberg and his PR team went out to preempt the inevitable press coverage of the Analytica anniversary by publishing a 3,200-word blog post outlining the future of Facebook as a privacy-focused platform, not an open and connected one. The CEO said that private messaging and small groups and ephemeral, that's your self-deleting, think Snapchat type posts, uh, were the fastest growing areas of online communication. That private small niche group, which I can definitely relate to as a uh, big WhatsApp user and almost seldom Facebook user. Now, the blog came weeks after it also emerged that Facebook had planned or has plans to integrate the messaging services of WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook Messenger into one big encrypted system so you could communicate securely across all three. And he reiterated a commitment to deliver end-to-end encryption across those three platforms. Now, there are three ways that I look at this. One, and this is on the most cynical side, is that it's not simply... it's basically not possible to trust what Facebook says because Facebook knows even something as catastrophic as the Cambridge Analytica scandal, the worldwide condemnation by governments that came with it, accusations of playing a major role in election rigging and, and obviously a woeful approach to privacy only temporarily impacts the business. You can tell from two metrics as well. Prices of its shares on the stock market have more than recovered since its massive fall last year and its user base is bigger than ever. Essentially, it can say what it wants as part of a PR campaign to counter bad press like the Analytica stuff uh, because no one really cares and it can carry on as it wants. That's my most cynical thought on this. The second way I look at this is slightly less cynical but nonetheless uh, critical, which is that 99% of Facebook's revenue comes from advertising. 99%, basically all of it. So the only thing that makes... Facebook's advertising model work is the use of data it holds about its users. And let's not forget, it is entirely possible and has been proven so to set up ads that specifically target one single person. Like literally you can buy an ad that only one individual is ever going to see. And Facebook may very well want to change its public facing business, but as long as it's making all its money from uh, the data that it holds on us, you can all but guarantee it's not going to change anything but that materially affects its ability to do that. And just before I get off my soapbox, I'm going to throw Facebook a bone here and throw my third and final way in the mix, um, which is to if you look at a company like Apple, for example, its profits used to come just from selling computers. That's all it did. Then in its second era, if you like, it all became about the iPhone, a product that now accounts for two thirds of all the money the company makes. Such was the popularity of the iPhone, as well as things like the iPod, of course. It even changed its name, if you remember, Naomi, from uh, Apple Computer Inc. to just Apple Inc. That was just, you know, mm-hmm. over a, over a decade ago now. And so now it's in this third era where iPhone sales are falling, but Apple's reinventing itself as a services company. It's got Apple Music, iCloud, the App Store, driving all these, this increasingly large percentage of its cash. And so it's not unthinkable 
that Facebook could start to try and do the same to the extent that in 10 years we'll be paying to use it as in some kind of ad-free service that sells physical products. Um, and, and let's not forget, there's you look at a company like Nokia, Back when it was founded in the 1800s, it was running pulping <laughs> mills. It it produced rubber products. It even made toilet paper at one point. And yet by the mid-2000s, it pivoted several times and became the world's biggest maker of mobile phones. So it can be done. My hunch, Naomi, and this is where I'm going to finally let you actually in and, <laughs> and have an opinion, is that unless Mark Zuckerberg leaves and the entire management structure is overhauled, the reality in my head is going to be somewhere between very cynical scenario one and slightly less cynical scenario too. I would love to come in with a really contrarian view here, but I'm afraid I'm with you. First of all, I'd like to make the comment that a 3,200-word blog? Yeah. I mean, that is not a blog to me. No, it's a, it's a novella. <laughs> it is a novella. It's probably my, uh, my final dissertation for my journalism masters. Um, so I just, I think that, as you say, an overhaul will probably be needed. Um, there was uh, a speech, I think, that Sheryl Sandberg recently gave at the DLD conference in Munich. The um, the feedback that I heard from that was that it, everything coming out from her is very robotic. She's not listening. She's not interacting. Uh, contrast that with um, a, a speech that she'd given a few years before where she was so interactive with the, the people in the room. And I think that that is endemic of the country company as a whole there doesn't seem to be um as you say it's an ad it's getting 99% of its revenues from um from ads and and I'm with you I'm using WhatsApp I'm just not I was thinking the other day I can't remember the last time I went onto Facebook no meaning that it's very very rare I actually deactivated my account for a little while and the only reason I reactivated it was because I needed a link to a blog post that I'd, I'd posted on Facebook for a specific reason on Facebook a year earlier. I needed to share the text with someone, so I had to reactivate the account in order to get the text. And I haven't since deactivated it, but I also don't really use it. For me, it's friends saying that they've had a baby, and then I copy and paste that into my contact section because I'm super organised and write the date of the baby's birth and then make sure to uh, send them a card. That's very manual. That's yes, quite, I'm very manual. That's quite... That's quite old, but, I, but I do it all within my iPhone. Mm. I don't have a paper diary for that, so... OK, so you, you're sort of half, half, <laughs> half manual, semi-automatic. Semi-automatic. You are the AK-47 of, uh, <laughs> of social media. Um, but you're right with, with Sheryl Sandberg. I mean, you know, she, she, is, she is Mark Zuckerberg's right-hand woman um, in my head, she is similar to the role that Eric Schmidt played when uh, when Google started getting too big for its founders' boots, Larry and Sergey, and sort of came in to be the parent to keep an eye on the kids that were running the show. And Cheryl comes in with that outside view. But I think as the scandals have gone on and the the need to be on message has increased perhaps she has become more robotic. I mean, some people have said that he needs to go, she needs to go, the board needs to change, and, and it just needs to be an entirely new type of company. And as long as Mark Zuckerberg is at the helm and calling all the shots, then it fundamentally can't change as a business. But we have seen it done before. I do wonder whether it can be done again. Now, do you think there's a need as well, as while we're talking about this, to merge those three apps or, or interconnect them because I was trying to think what benefit that would 
that would give me because right now messenger and whatsapp are basically the same product functional you know functionally speaking whatsapp i know they kind of want to make slightly more business facing but i've heard them say that about messenger as well and instagram is very very visual but you know is increasingly becoming so more so much more diverse that it kind of risks losing some of its identity i don't know how you feel about this in terms of my podcast uh, i know that i'm getting most of my messages through instagram um, so if i'm thinking oh i vaguely remember i got a message about something i'll if i remember it's podcast related then i'll go to instagram whatsapp i do loads of my work like work on the day job through whatsapp now mm. um and uh, facebook as i said i just don't use i don't know about combining them all i mean maybe it make it easy i'm just not sure mm. i mean the bigger the bigger overarching question here of course though is can we ever trust facebook you know one of the things that i did quote unquote like about zuckerberg's post is that he acknowledged that the company isn't exactly known for its trustworthiness and i think that's a, a, a bit of an understatement but i also think that the vast majority of people don't care and so what is the real need and is the need to change the business model to appease regulators, the media and the most vocal critics? Or is it because something fundamentally doesn't work about Facebook? And, and, and the sad thing is, Facebook does fundamentally work. It makes billions in profit. Um, it's incredibly successful. It's got a third of the world's population using it. Like that's pretty much a benchmark for success right there. So the only need to change it would be to silence critics. And I think that they are valuable critics. But but do you not think that a bit like Leveson, um, there will come a stage where something major will happen? And it has already with Cambridge Analytica, but there will be something that really taps into people's um, uh in the the enragement factor. I think we've seen it. I mean, honestly, I can't think of much, much more than um, the uh, you know the, the the lax handling of personal data, the you know alleged role in election rigging, whether that's the referendum, whether it's Russia meddling, whether it's um, the but presidential campaign. As you say, it still campaign. hasn't impacted the share price. I mean, it did temporarily. It dropped massively, but then it recovered but. a little bit later. So mm. it's kind of like, well, investors don't care. The user numbers are higher than ever. We haven't seen a rival come across and steal the limelight like we had in previous years. You know, Facebook took over from MySpace. MySpace took over from Friendster, wasn't it? You know, we saw that cycle going. Not things happen with Facebook because Facebook's become like this weird AOL-esque monolith where it sort of is its own meta web. You know, you can basically go to Facebook and do nothing but Facebook. And the only thing it needs to do is sell Internet access. And then you've basically got yourself the new AOL. But we all know what happened there. This week, Reuters wrote that major British banks have committed to narrowing the gap in funding between female and male entrepreneurs after a government commissioned report found a lack of available capital for women as holding the UK back. 
The report concluded that only 6% of women in Britain run their own businesses, which may or may not sound like a lot, but when you compare it to Canada, which has almost, which has about 15% and almost 11% in the United States, uh, you see that we are sorely behind our North American friends. The report also said that access to funding was the biggest barrier for female entrepreneurs. Now, Royal Bank of Scotland, that's RBS, and Lloyd's are among the first lenders who have pledged to take some action on this, again, according to Reuters, which includes publishing data on the investment disparity between female and male-led businesses under a new voluntary code. And other findings that I noticed in this report included that businesses that are run by women are on average half the size half the value of male-led firms, and that closing the gap between women and men could add an additional quarter of a trillion pounds to the British economy. This is all fascinating stuff. It was actually authored by a woman called Alison Rose. She's the deputy CEO of NatWest, so she knows what she's talking about. And uh, she set out a number of <coughs> of other recommendations, excuse me, including greater transparency and funding given to women-run businesses by investors and more courses teaching entrepreneurship in schools and colleges. Um, Naomi, you flagged this topic. It's one that semi-passed me by. Um, logic is there was a lot of very interesting stories that landed on uh, International Women's Day on Friday. Um, this was one of a number of those great pieces, but you um, you flagged this. What what stood out to you about this? I think it's it's surprising numbers, and it's surprising when you consider that according to McKinsey, um, gender diverse companies outperform by around fifteen percent, and it's something like twenty five thirty percent when you add racially diverse companies. So it seems to make business sense. But I think we are still struggling um, with with pipeline. You know, in, in sports, we get hold of young talent um, as early as, you know, five, six, seven. You've got football training camps to spot talent. Hmm. Uh, I think it's more difficult in academic subjects, but I think that it is so essential to really think about pipeline because we can't be just uh, saying to companies you need to be hiring more women if there aren't more women around um, I think if you if you just look at some of the figures out at the moment girls studying STEM so that science technology uh, engineering and medicine post maths math sorry <laughs> so I say medicine mathematics yeah. I mean that, that includes medicine it yeah yeah but but yes quite right mathematics um, post GCSE is 35 percent but that uh, drops down to 25% for undergrads. And then when you get into how many are STEM professionals, it's around 23%. So we see these these numbers decline. I personally think it's a lot to do with role models. It's about hearing people's stories. Um, and I think that's that's really fundamental. There, there's um, Sherry Kutu's organisation, and I think you know, you, you're quite familiar with them, um, Founders for Schools, identifies role models to go into schools to share their stories. Um, I think that that's really important. They had a report out on the same day um, saying that 83% of deals um, that UK venture cap capitalists made last year had no women on the founding teams. Wow. No women, 83%. I mean, it's huge numbers. So we really are um, facing a crisis. But as I say, it's got to start so much earlier. Yeah, I mean, I should say, I suppose, for full disclosure, disclosure I do, yeah, I do know um, Sherry Kutu, um personally and I am a member of Founders for Schools and have have given um, talks as part of that but um, it's it's not profit and I don't get paid um, so, but but I think you're right I mean I, I talk to a lot of you know founders and VCS and partners and um, and people and, and and a lot of them are women but the sort of overarching problem that I hear 
is happens in the boardroom of an investment uh, body, whether that's VC or a bank, and that it is predominantly a woman going in and sitting in front of a panel of men. And that is both I'm told, I've never experienced this personally, that is, I'm told, daunting to prepare for, but also, you know, a very challenging situation to be in at the time. Um, and so there's there's that kind of mental stigma. I don't want to say it's like self-selecting, like, oh, it's too difficult. Um, but that's definitely what I hear over and over again from people is that that is key. And, and that strikes me as tapping in exactly into what um, Alison writes in, in her report, which is that access to funding was the biggest barrier. So it might not be that the funding isn't there, but actually being able to get, you know, get into that room and perform well enough in that room is part of the is part of the issue and, and needs to be tackled in some way. I think um, coming from um, a background of privilege of sorts, you know, if you've if you've made it through into higher education, you're already in a in a better um, position to handle those scenarios. And then, you know, if you make it into into that room and you're a woman, there, there are just so many there are so many things along the way that are going to knock you back a little bit add into that if you are racially diverse as well and you walk into a room and it's um it's all white men or white men and women so there's there's intersectionality there as well so yeah i think it's really challenging but Mm. it's great what they're doing this is a good start um more please Well, that's going to do it for this week. We should have Ian back next week. We had a great email come in from uh, from Russ as well, one of our uh, patrons who was commenting on Ian's comments around uh, docking a phone to a desktop uh, into a monitor. So we're going to come to that when Ian's back because I know it was uh, Ian that had a lot of views on that. Um, but thank you also to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK tech. It's keeping the show alive. It's keeping us excited. Um, it's really also keeping us in uh, the ability to buy new microphones. Um, but also thank you to everyone listening on our free feed. You are just as valuable in a completely different way because without the thousands of you listening, other people don't hear about the show and don't leave us reviews on iTunes. So in whatever way you're able to support or are supporting the show, thank you, thank you, thank you. It means the world, honestly. And thank you additionally to Naomi for being here this week. We'll have to get you back. I've enjoyed this greatly. So have I. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, now you do a podcast. Um, I mean, you know that, but what, but, <laughs> but people listening may not. So why don't you tell them what your fo- your podcast focuses on? Thank you. Yeah, my podcast is called Show Me the Way. Show Me the Way. Uh, Show Me Pod, um, and it is a series of conversations with women at the top of their game about what it really takes to get there. So we speak to um, a really diverse range of people, from Eleanor Barker, the Olympic gold medal cyclist, through to um, ballet dancers, through to CEO CEOs of companies. Um, our next one actually is with Stephanie Elise, who is the founder and chief pleasure officer, yes, that's an official title, of Mystery Vibe. I've met her. She and I and my friend Lexi met her at Web Summit in November. And yes, we we looked through their, their products. We spent a good hour or so with her. She's a fascinating woman, actually. I didn't realise she was yeah. on your show. She, she's coming up, the next one. Uh, she runs uh, Mystery Vibe, which is a, uh, a personalisable vibrator company. Yeah. And very interesting products they are too, I have to say. And and if you're a man, I would I would point out, 
it's worth a look for curiosity if nothing else yep. but there's some very very interesting designs going on there um well i'm going to look out for that yeah sex then. tech sex tech yeah so that's very interesting yeah we've got a whole host of we've got career coaches we've got um all sorts of people i would urge you to have a listen show me the way absolutely i would strongly encourage that too having heard the previous episodes and um we'll be back with you all being well in a week's time bye guys small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because rustoleum's new custom spray five and one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks crannies edges and curves without worrying about drips runs uneven coverage or anything else custom spray five and one only from rustoleum